Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Good morning. It's awesome to see all of you here today as we're going to open up the Word and see what God has to say to us. And uh, we're going to pray over these at the end of the service today, okay, that God would use them. Um, So in 1939, when Britain officially entered the war with Nazi Germany, um, Winston Churchill began talking to President Roosevelt and trying to say, hey, we need you to be involved here. And of course, the United States wasn't wanting to get into a war, understandably. Uh, But even before the United States was in this war, it was clear to both Winston Churchill and President Roosevelt that there was going to need to be an invasion of Europe in order to defeat Nazi Germany. They knew it was going to need to happen, and so they started talking about it then. And it wasn't until the United States was attacked by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor in, in December of 1941 that then the United States officially entered the war Uh, against Japan as well as against Germany. And then they began, the generals began talking uh, much more specifically about there's going to need to be an invasion. Where should it be? What was it going to take to succeed? And so they began making plans for this and they kept, they would kind of schedule it and then, well, because of this, they need to push it out and they pushed it out. So it was 1939, 1941, and it isn't until 1944 that this invasion actually takes place. And we know the invasion as D-Day, right? June the 6th. 1944. So they began planning for this, you know, having conversations, and there there were some leaks that got out, and it was, you know, but it was a long process to get to that day. And when that day came, uh, over 150,000 troops stormed five beaches in France, uh, and that's where the front lines were, okay? And the front lines, it took five days slowly but surely and back and forth, but push, that, that the front lines were pushed far enough away from the beach that um, they were able to bring in, set up this temporary harbor. They had some stuff that they do that made like a harbor. And so they got those set up and then over the rest of the war, which only lasts another 11 months after the invasion, uh, there are, they say about two and a half million troops came to shore there in Europe through those harbors that had been uh, set up after capturing the beaches. 500,000 vehicles, over four, 400 million tons of supplies. I mean, just, that's what enabled, right? That attack and capturing the beachhead and pushing, the, keep pushing the front lines back. And it was at the front lines where you engage with the enemy, isn't it? Okay, that's where what is, needs to happen is happening on those front lines, wherever they went. And so that's what they kept pressing the battle there. Well, I kind of thought about this and was thinking that the battle that we find ourselves in, uh, spiritual battle, and it's, it's not the same kind of battle at all. But before the earth was ever created, somehow, some way, uh, before time was created, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God 
begins planning. And I don't know how you talk about God beginning something. Okay, for those of you who think like I do, it gets, my mind starts to get overwhelmed real quick. But the idea is in the council of heaven, there was a determination made that an invasion was going to be needed, see? Before the foundation of the world. And of course, in the, uh, the, um, God creates and we know the stories. We're looking at the stories during our Bible study time on Sunday mornings uh, after this service. Um, and all that went into that. And then finally, the Son of God leaves heaven. Is, is, you know, becomes Jesus. When Jesus is conceived, he becomes that man. And, and he's God, but he's man. And he's man, but he's God. But he's born and, and lives this perfect and sinless life. And, and as he, he goes to the cross, he willingly goes to the cross. And, and then takes the penalty for my sin and for your sin, the sins of the whole world, and pays the penalty for that. Only the Son of God could have done that. Rises again from the dead. But I say to you, so this is, I don't know where to put this in the idea of the invasion plans, but the Son of God came into our sinful world, didn't he? All the hardship that you see and experience, all the things that we see on the news that thankfully we don't experience, Right, but other people are. All of these things, this is the world that the perfect Son of God entered into and loved and died for. And so that invasion, you might say, has begun. But then it starts with just 12 people, 12 men that the Lord had called, right? Then it's 120. And then it's over 3,000 on Pentecost and it begins to grow. And Christians, by God's intent and design, Christians are supposed to be functioning on the front lines, right? Can you be a Christian and not function on the front lines? Yeah, you can. But we are in enemy territory. But where the enemy is being engaged is where the front line is. And what we are actually engaged in at the front line and, and how we, I mean, we're not really looking to focus on the enemy at that place. What we're trying to do is rescue people from him, aren't we? People that he has deceived. People who don't understand. People who are caught up in, in whatever sin has, has owned their life and reaching those people and, and rescuing them from the enemy. But where does this happen? On the front lines. There's lots of stuff that can go around, on around that that isn't the front lines, right, that's in support of it, but it's on the front lines. It's where you and I have the opportunity to walk out into a world that's really controlled by the enemy and rescue people from him. And that's what the gospel is about. This is this mission that God has given us. Our mission started before the creation of the world. This was God's plan that we would carry this out. And so what I want to challenge you about today is this, and we're going to see this from uh, first, uh, Acts chapter 18 when we look at it, but I want to challenge you to choose to live on the front lines. And that's what I titled today's sermon, Choosing to Live on the Front Lines. Now, what do I mean by this then, living on the front lines? Well, here's what I mean by it. It's living your life in a way that purposefully brings you into regular contact with people who need to know the Lord and then sharing him with them. 
So it's being out there, doing that. And so I would say to you that, well, we're here today that for the most part, we are not on the front lines here today, are we? Thankfully, I mean, we are here gathered because we need help to go out and get on the front lines and live life out there. And yes, if we have someone here who doesn't know the Lord, we're gonna preach the gospel, people hear it on there. But the idea is the front lines is, is a place you have to choose to be. And it's not, sometimes it's about physical location, but it's not really as much about physical location as we might think. Because you, I guarantee you, and you know it, we all do it. We can go out of here and we can walk out into this world and, and go places and do things and never really live like we're on the front lines. You know what I mean? We, we, we aren't purposefully going out there thinking about making contact with people who need to know the Lord. We aren't doing that purpose. We aren't putting ourselves in that position. We aren't being alert and asking God for the opportunity, being ready to share the Lord with these people and to talk to them about you know, what the Lord would do for them if they would come to know him as Savior. And if we can walk through the world and never do this. So it's not so much about physical location as it is about what's going on in your heart and in your mind as you walk out of here today and you get up tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So living on the front lines, living your life in a way that purposely, that's a key word, folks. We're doing this on purpose. We're doing this consciously in a way that purposefully brings you into regular contact. By regular, um, I mean ongoing, you know. It happens on a regular basis. Regular contact with people who need to know the Lord and then sharing him with them. So uh, we're ready. Notice we are making these contacts on purpose. We are conscious and aware that this person or this person doesn't know the Lord and needs to know the Lord. And we're, we're talking with the Father and saying, you know, prompt me with your spirit. Should I speak now? Is this the time? How do I? You know, help me to see and be ready. That's living on the front lines. And that's what God has for us. And we're gonna see this in Paul's life in, in Acts chapter 18 in just a moment. But here's, here's the takeaway. Do what it takes to stay on the front line. Do what it takes. And it's going to require some conscious decisions on your part. So do what it takes. So let's take our Bibles now and go to Acts chapter 18. It's on page 1277 in the Bible that's under the chair there. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to pick up one of those and follow along. I think it'll be helpful for you. Acts chapter 18. It says, after these things, what things? <laughs> well, this is the whole story of his second journey and how he, he ended up in Philippi and was beaten and, and then he went to Thessalonica and reached people and got chased off and same thing in Berea and he ends up in Athens and he basically rejected We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. Uh, so what had happened in Rome is there was unrest, things going on, and so the emperor said, that's it. All the Jews got to go, and he sent them out, okay? Judaism was an accepted religion in the Roman Empire. 
But at this point, he says, that's it, leave Rome, because uh, he felt there were problems there. Verse three, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now, we don't know if Aquila and Priscilla had already reached the conclusion and heard about Jesus and had made a decision that he was the Messiah and uh, been saved or if that happened as a result of their relationship with Paul. We don't know. But we do know as we go forward in the story that they are believers in Christ, followers of Christ and working with Paul. But I want you to see here. You know, the Apostle Paul makes it clear elsewhere in Scripture that those who preach the gospel uh, ought to be supported in that effort. They ought not to have to work other jobs because we want them to be able to focus on, um, you know, the doing the preaching and doing the ministry. But we find here is that when Paul gets to Corinth, he doesn't have that support. And he has to do, how's he going to stay in Corinth? I mean, the idea is he probably could have managed to say, okay, I said, I'm just heading back to Antioch. Or maybe worse, I'm just going back to Tarsus. I don't have any more funds. I I can't do this anymore. But instead, he goes to work. Paul goes to work back to a trade that he had, making tents. And and he goes back to work so that he can support himself. So he can do what? What we see in verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Um, do you ever feel tired when you come home from work? You know, sometimes you're not tired physically, but you're tired here, you know? Um, and so the first thing you do is feel like, okay, I get home, get square, I'm going to head right back out, I got some ministry to do. Um, the reality is we, it, that isn't comfortable, right? It isn't the easy thing to do. It isn't what you naturally want to do. But what we see Paul here is saying, you know what? God has given me this mission. And by the way, he's given this mission to who? To all of us. He does put it in the heart of some people to go someplace else to do that uh, as missionaries. But the Apostle Paul is here and says, God has given me this mission. I got to do what it takes to do this mission, to be on the front lines. Therefore, I need to work. And then that means after he works all day, now he can go. You know what I mean? And so it's not always comfortable. It's not easy. So the, the first thought is this for you. We're talking about doing what it takes to stay on the front lines. Be ready to sacrifice personal comfort to stay on the mission. Be ready to sacrifice personal comfort. And I got to say to you that I think that as a culture, man, um, You know, you may be having hard times today. You may be having hard times financially. You may be having hard times physically. You may be having some hard times relationally. But let me ask you, which part of the world and at what point in history would you like to trade your life for? We live in a time when things are better than they have ever been. We probably live in a country that is the richest nation that the world has ever known. We have it good. Suffering, you know, suffering for young people is they can't have the name brand sneakers. I'm not putting them down, I'm talking about in their culture, that's the way it feels, right? We're suffering because, you know, oh, whatever, I I don't think I need to say a lot about it. You, You get it, right? You get it? And so 
We view inconvenience and discomfort as a reason, wow, something's wrong. (laughs) What what do you mean? I I need to get involved and and be serving or I need to go out and do something. What are you talking about? I'm overwhelmed already. I came home from work and I'm tired. And I got a nice big screen TV helps me relax. And I like nice big screen TV. But if we are going to stay on the front lines, you cannot let your personal comfort determine what you do. By the way, if you can choose to be comfortable and do whatever you need to do, by all means, choose comfort. (laughs) Right? That is the point. The idea is don't let this kind of thing keep you from being out there on the front lines on purpose, making contact with people who need to know the Lord. And I think we'll see something today in Paul's story that will help to challenge us about getting out of that, okay? So be ready to sacrifice personal comfort to stay on the mission. So, so he is, he's, he's working, he's meeting in the synagogue every week and, and uh, trying to persuade them about uh, a proper understanding of the Messiah and who he was gonna be, verse five. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Well, I thought that might have been included in verse four, (laughs) right? He reads in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks, but now he feels compelled by the Spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Well, my guess is that Paul, he may have talked about Jesus, but he was talking about the Christ. Remember the word Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew word for Messiah? That, that he was talking about the Messiah, the Old Testament things, that the Messiah was going to die. And, and that the Messiah would probably rise from the dead, all that kind of stuff. But now he is stirred up and compelled and he just kind of gets in their face. I don't mean he's being mean or harsh, but he gets in their face with his truth. Look, Jesus is this one. Jesus is the Messiah. He is who I'm talking to you about. Now, why the change? Well, he was compelled by the Spirit. But the word of God in this very verse that says he was compelled by the Spirit also says what? When Silas and Timothy came. Well, I think there's a number of things going on here. One is that he was no longer alone. I mean, he had Aquila and Priscilla, but it's not like his missions companions, right? And so maybe that was encouraging to him. But I think there's probably something else going on. Uh, Let's uh, take a look here on the screen at a verse uh, from Philippians, three verses actually from Philippians. Paul says this, writing to the Philippians, remember that's where they had in Macedonia and they had come to where he is now. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. When I departed from Macedonia, he he left uh, Philippi and the Thessalonica and Berea and went to Athens and then to Corinth. When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And so what had happened is Philippi, the Christians in Philippi, he had come preach the gospel to them. Remember, he had been uh, beaten, thrown in jail, and the, he strengthened the people before he left. But they had chosen to begin actively supporting him. They are sending him money on some sort of a, a regular basis. Now, that was a lot harder to send money back then, wasn't it? Somebody had to carry it in a bag and hopefully not get robbed on the way there and give it to you. 
But so he says they, once again, right, they had supported him when he was in Thessalonica. And then he had gone so far away that they hadn't supported him, but finally it caught up with him, and they supported him. And so Silas and Timothy, I believe, brought this to Paul at this time. And I think Paul, first of all, is greatly encouraged. Greatly encouraged. Do you remember Ken and Carrie Lyles who were with us a few weeks back or a couple months ago? Whatever that was. Do you remember what he told us? You know, remember how, is he 80 yet, Glenda? I don't remember. Almost 80. He's up there. She's in her upper 70s. And, and they're trying to decide what do we do? Do we retire or do we not? And so they sat down and they were looking at, because I had reached out and said, hey, if you have an opportunity to come our way, we'd love to have you. And um, he said they sat down and looked over things and they looked at how much we had given them. And, you know, we have probably given them, since we started supporting them in 2001, 80 or $90,000, $90,000. Because we give them $400 a month, about $5,000 a year. And he said they were so overwhelmed by that. And this was a really big part of them making a decision. We're going one more shot with this. Another three, four years or whatever. But it's because you guys have given to missions and then we have given it to them and they have been encouraged and people are being saved today because of it. All right? So you see, they had the encouragement. Not only they had the encouragement, but they are able to continue going because churches like us support them. It's crucial. And that keeps them on the front lines, doesn't it? So this is, this is really important. So we're talking about doing what it takes to stay in the front lines. The second thing is to be willing to sacrifice financially to support missionaries who are on the front lines in other parts of the world. Move beyond your comfort in this. You know, give up one cup of coffee a week. What is that? I got I, I to be involved in, in helping the gospel and these people, missionaries, be on the front lines out there where I cannot be. And, and so this is actually responsibility for us. It's not just optional if we'd like to. And here's why. If we look at the King James Version, okay, and I, I, we're going to look at the King James Version because it captures a, a little two-letter word in the original Greek, how it was written. A little two-letter word, T-E. <laughs> and it's a small word, and it, maybe it seems a little insignificant, and most translations don't really focus in on it. But the King James Version focused in on it. I'll show you. It says this. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, and there's the word, both. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. He isn't saying... You do it here, and you only do it here. And eventually, if you get out here, do it out here. And then if you eventually kind of get here, you're going to do it out here. This idea both means we need to be concerned about all of it at the same time. And so here we are. We have this, this mission that's been given to us, and we need to be doing that here. We need to be on the front lines on purpose, doing it here. But we have a responsibility somehow. But what about out there where we can't be? And so we seek the Lord's leading. We try to connect with missionaries who are going there. Where's the need greatest? And then we make a decision to support them financially so that they can be out there. So we need to be doing both. Okay? We need to actively be on the front lines here. And then we need to be helping other 
people, the missionaries that God sends to be on the front lines out there. And so this idea of both, very important. Um, Now, when preachers ask for money, there's always a few people who go, there he goes, he's doing it again. Well, let me just assure you, here's the thing. I am not asking, when I'm talking about missions money, there'll be other times I'll challenge you to give here and to this work here, but I'm talking to you about missions. That money does not go to us. All the money that you give as missions is set up to either send out there or to support, be supportive of the people that we're sent out there, one way or another. And so this isn't for us, it's for them, but Paul says it's more than that. He continues when he's talking about these Philippian uh, Christians who had supported him. He says this. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Do you get that? So here's the deal. You pray about it uh, and, and you say, God, you know, what do you want me to give to missions? What do you want our family to give to missions? And uh, boy, that's... And you start getting a sense of, you know, maybe we're supposed to give this much. And, oh, wow, that's going to tweak my budget a little bit. I, I don't know. And, but you really get this sense that God wants you to do it. And you finally say, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And you start doing that. And every week or every month, however often you get paid, you, you give. Over and above your giving to the Lord, you know, your tithes, your regular offerings. Over and above that. And you give that. And that missionary, the Lyles, every person out there, that they are involved in reaching. It doesn't just go on their account. It goes on yours. It goes on mine. And so that day when I stand before the Lord and you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ where we're going to evaluate our lives and how we live, not for whether we go to heaven or hell, that's settled when we receive Christ as Savior. But let's look at our life. Let's walk, look, look at your life and Look, I want you to see, when you gave, when you followed my promptings and you gave them, here, I want you to see all of these lives and people who are here that you had a part of. See, we can, we can actively get engaged on the front lines out there by supporting the missionary financially. When you say, well, yeah, I don't know how in the world I can do that. You don't know my budget. Well, you're absolutely right. I don't know your budget. God knows your budget, doesn't he? And you say to God, God, this is my budget, and this is this and this, and I don't know what to do, and, and then, but I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, and God starts bringing some clarity there, and, and you finally say, okay, I, I think this is what he's telling me, and you do it. Uh, first of all, what did Jesus say? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteous. Seek what? Seek first. What do you want me to do, God? Do that. And he says, then I will provide your other needs. Paul says the same thing here in Philippians. Go to the next one if you would. He says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And who's he talking to? The people who had consistently supported him, who had sent money to help him stay on the front lines carrying out the mission. Okay? So I want to challenge you. Be willing to sacrifice financially to support missionaries who are on the front lines in other parts of the world. Okay, let's continue. Money can be a hard thing. I think what we're going to see next is harder. Verse 6. So, he, so he's saying, Jesus is the Christ, verse 6. 
But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. They came to Christ. Uh, it's an interesting thing. The, first of all, let's just consider this. What if, and I'm not going to pick a particular one, but what if they, you know, a false religion might even claim to be Christian, and, and you were able to go there and you were talking to them and trying to get it, and, and you weren't really able to, so what you did was you set up next door <laughs> and talked to everybody coming and going. <laughs> How popular would you be with the, the leader of that false religion there? What happened to the leader of the false religion there? I mean, it wasn't false, it just was not finished yet. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, got saved. So the preacher of that false church gets saved and he starts coming. Now, I mean, that's, this is big stuff, isn't it? Okay, but I want you to see what led to this. Verse six, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments, which is a cultural thing. Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul made a hard decision, didn't he? I mean, he's been meeting with these people and talking with them and, and challenging them and so here's the third thing about this idea of being willing, doing what it takes to stay on the front lines. In your witnessing, be ready to move on to new people you can share your faith with and then do it, even when it's hard. Okay, in your witnessing, be ready to move on to new people you can share your faith with and then do it even when it's hard. Let me tell you what happens to us as Christians. So, and I don't know what your story is, but if, if say you came to Christ, you realize your need of a savior, you receive Christ as savior, God begins working and changing your life, you have a whole new set of friends, you actually have a new family, right, a spiritual family, and you start spending time here, and then you realize, I need to share my faith and witness, so you talk to all of your friends. You're bold at that point in your life, and you talk to them about it, and you invite them to special presentations where the gospel's going to be, and you do that, and you have those conversations, and, and some of them, you know, some of them wonderfully, by God's grace, have gotten saved. But you reach a point with those people in your life where the ones who are most likely to get saved have what? They've been saved. But you care about these people and you want them to be saved. And so you keep focusing there and you can't, but what I want to say to you is that at some point, you aren't on the front line anymore because these people are not interested. They don't want it. And that doesn't mean you stop caring about them. It doesn't mean that you aren't ready and willing to try to reach them. But it does mean that you need to purposefully make a choice that I have to get engaged with people who don't know the Lord who I may be able to, to win and see come to Christ. Now, this is not about, like I said, it's not about stop caring. You keep caring, you can keep praying, you keep, and it doesn't mean you don't have a relationship with them. But do you understand what I'm trying to say? Is you may need to move on and find, you're on a mission. That means you need to, you're supposed to go. What, first word? 
go, okay? You gotta go to where the unsaved people are and share the gospel with them. And here's the deal. You can trust God with those people. If you're worried and you say, man, but if I, if I stop spending as much time with these people and I start, you know, I'm away, how will they ever get saved? Well, let's look here again. Verse six, he challenged, he says, that's it, I'm going to the Gentiles. Verse seven, he says, he left. And then verse eight, what's the first word? Verse eight, what's the first word? Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, came to Christ. It happened after Paul had made the decision to go. Now, I'm not saying it's because he walked away. What I'm trying to tell you is that God is quite capable of reaching people without you. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean you're important, but the idea is I have... Have you ever thought that maybe that family member of yours that you have witnessed to and shared your faith with so many times, so many times that now you don't really do it much anymore, it's just the way it is. Have you ever thought that maybe it would take someone else besides you to have that conversation? Okay, so see, God can do that. You're not abandoning these people. What you're doing is saying, I gotta engage, I gotta be on the front lines, I gotta go find people who need to know the Lord and who may be open to it and trust this to God. So I say this is a hard thing. I think it's a hard thing. And so you trust God with the old relationships and trust God to bring you new relationships. All right, verse nine. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. All right, so my question is why did God show up with this vision now? Don't be afraid. You know, I'm not going to let anybody hurt you. I got a lot of people who are going to come to Christ in this city. Don't be afraid. Don't keep silent. Why would God tell him that? Well, consider Paul's experience as he comes here to, to Corinth. On his first missionary journey, a few years earlier, he had run into demonic opposition. He had had official opposition. He had had religious opposition. He was stoned and left for dead. Might have been part of the reason he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know. His second missionary journey, before it even starts, he has a huge blow up with his fellow missionary that brings them to division. He has difficulty trying. He's trying to go here. He can't go there. He's trying to go here. Can't go there. He's having that kind of struggle. He faces demonic opposition again. He is caned, which means beaten with rods. Uh, and, and by the way, that happens two other times that we don't have know when or how it also happened to him. So I mean, he's had that to happen to him. And nonetheless, he had some success in reaching people. And here's the pattern. He had success in reaching people. Then he had to run for his life. And he had some more success reaching people. And then he has to run for his life. Okay. Uh, and, and with all this, do you think Paul might have had a little PTSD? Right? Wouldn't that be normal? Okay. And then he goes to Athens and, and he's talking to all the most intellectual people around and making his case. And before he can ever really get started, they, most of them say, yeah, right, we aren't interested. And others say, well, maybe we'll think about it. He was basically rejected, ignored. He did God by his grace, had some people believe. But so what is happening in Corinth? Paul is reaching people. He is experiencing some success. Do you think he might think, here we go again? I think he has reason, I mean, from a human perspective, to be fearful. 
And God said, you know, God, there's a lot of people in Corinth that are going to respond to the gospel. And so God shows up and says, don't be afraid, but speak. Don't be afraid, speak. I'll protect you. And you're going to reach a lot of people. So let's keep reading. By the way, Paul hadn't stopped, even if he was fearful. Verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Paul's going to try to defend himself. Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names in your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Get out of here. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Did God keep his word to him? He protected. Now God had not. God had let him suffer. God had let him experience the hardships and the difficulties, but this time God doesn't. He stops it. But here's what I want to challenge you with when it comes to doing what it takes to stay on the front lines, and this is it. Embrace the risk. As a follower of Christ, embrace the risk. And I put it in quotations because in some sense, we're not at risk if we're following God, right? Now, we may still suffer, But live your life in such a way that if God isn't real and his word isn't true, you're going to fail. You need to do that. You need to do that and you're going out in the world. We're talking about on purpose, going out and engaging with the the world, being on the front lines. And if you do that, if God doesn't come through, you're in trouble. You are. Not going to go real well for you if God doesn't come through. When it comes to your giving, we've already talked about, right? Giving to, su- to support those missionaries who are out there. Um, and, and you give in such a way that, wow, this really kind of crunches things. You know, if God doesn't come through and keep his promises, you're going to fail. Just how you live your life. What God says, this is how I'm supposed to live. Live it that way. And if God doesn't keep his word, you're going to fail. You see, but this is about faith, isn't it? I really am going to believe God. I am really going to act on this. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to. And when I mess up and fail, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to keep going. It's a determination that I am going all in with God. I'm jumping out of the airplane with this parachute. By the way, I'm not doing that. I used to think that'd be the coolest thing. The older I get, I say, why in the world would I jump out of a perfectly good airplane? So you'll know that when I finally do go jump out of an airplane, you'll say, oh, the dementia's setting in. Okay. Um, it, the pain is worth it. Whatever pain God lets you go through is worth it. Consider Jesus, right? What he came and endured and suffered. And he said, for the joy that was set before him. And that joy, part of that's you and me. He endured that. He did that. So embrace the risk. Live this way. So the idea is this. Do what it takes to stay on the front lines. Make the decisions it takes to stay on the front lines. So three action steps today. I want to challenge you. The first one is this. Purposefully look for ways to meet and connect with more unsaved people. 
You go through your life, you just run into the same people day after day, thing after thing, right? I'm saying on purpose. Say, God, how could I connect with some more unsafe people? How could I do this? Now, we talk about as you go through life, you know, and you have people at work and you're trying to witness to them. I, I've tried witnessing at work and I just have a hard time with it. You guys are, it's getting long and you're slow on the uptake. I've tried to win Dave to the Lord time after time. And he just won't do it. Right as a pastor, I, my work doesn't put me in contact with a lot of unsaved people. It just doesn't. Okay? So this is one of the reasons why I have chosen that, that every week pretty much, I'm one or two days a week, I am not working in my office. I'm working out there somewhere. I'll be working at McDonald's or I'll work at Starbucks or something like that. And just let me say this up front because I'm, I'm going to give you examples from my life. But I'm not trying to tell you I have it all together on this. I don't because I could also tell you all the times I've struggled, I've failed, I haven't done. That's there too. But I want to tell you this, this makes a difference when you're consciously doing this. So uh, at, at uh, McDonald's, I was sitting there going, working, and, and you, get, you get to walk by kind of witnessing, because sometimes people say, what are you doing? And they see me there with my Bible, I have an opportunity to talk, and okay, so that, those things happen, and I don't know what God's doing with those or not. But one day I was sitting there, and there was these two old guys who were always there, and whenever they could, they got the big booth, anyway, but they reminded me of the, the two old guys in the Muppets. <laughs> You're making fun of things, and it's kind of a way to remind me, especially one of them, the younger one and the older one. They were brothers. And something came up, and they were talking about the Red Sox or whatever, and I overheard it. And I, I just felt prompt, and, and I said something about it. And we talked about the Red Sox. And then I started seeing them, because they're there, they were there every day. <laughs> and, and I uh, ended up, next thing I know, finally someday I'm sitting with them in the big booth. And we're having these conversations. Talk about lots of things. And I just, just faith of God, bring it. If something connected with the, the scriptures, or the, just bring it up. And I brought it up. And, and they were interested. They, we talked. They didn't know I was a preacher for quite some time. Um, I won't go into all the details, but I will tell you this. That uh, the youngest one, who was the roughest one, and he had a life that you'd go, ooh, he used to give me advice on how to, to get more money from you guys. <laughs> he said, tell them they need to give till it hurts. <laughs> if you want, I'll come take up the offering, he says, you know. <laughs> no. But I remember the day he showed up here, sitting back there somewhere. I shared the gospel. And I, you know, you pray with me. And I said, if you pray today, and he raised his hand in his 70s, upper 70s. And his brother, same thing happened to him at a later time. So this younger brother died. And I still meet with the older brother and we talk about things and he is now, one day I finally just, finally just pushed him. I said, so what do you really believe about this? Because his background is religious works and you know, he says, I believe what you're saying. Okay, which is Jesus, the gospel. And so good, now, now he talks to me, how do I get my grandkids to know this? So I still meet him, but he's, he's not going to leave his church. He's just not going to. He's 83 years old. So that. I have other conversations. And now this, this guy, the older guy, he wants to, he introduces me as, oh, 
this is Reverend Walt. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk and we... And so, but I'm starting to meet some more people there and know some people there. Uh, at Starbucks one time, I... Uh, Met a guy, he was a disabled vet, and we talked multiple times, and I, I witnessed him, I shared my faith with him, and I just felt prompted one time to, he, he didn't have, I gave him my Bible. And I didn't end up seeing him much after that, but somebody ran into him at Starbucks and found out that the connection, between, and, and he was just telling about how this and how, how he was reading the Bible, and I don't know what God's doing with it, right? Um, Joined a gym a bunch of years ago. Somebody said, you should go again. Yes. <laughs> I joined a gym, and I got in a class, and there were eight of us in the class, and the instructor. And, and I thought, God, you've put me in this place, and this is these people. I don't, and if, before it was done, I, I invited all those people to my house for a picnic with healthy food. And we, uh, I came, and there was a couple who came, and, and who came here eventually and got saved, and were here for a number of years. I invited the instructor out, took him out to lunch and talked to him and talked to him about the gospel and all this. And he was kind of noncommittal, but whatever. Another guy at McDonald's with, who had mental health issues and, and talked to him and that was challenging, but we talked, talked, and he was a poet. And so I ended up helping him publish his poetry and all along the way we have the opportunity to talk about the gospel. And one day I think because of mental health issues, he got all bent out of shape with me and I don't know before and I haven't seen him since. But he heard the gospel from me on more than one occasion. But see, it would be easy for me to come up here and park myself downstairs in my office. Easy. But, and like I said, believe me, I don't do this perfectly. And my heart isn't right and I'm not always conscious that I ought to be. But there have been multiple times where I'm consciously out there on the front lines trying to engage with unsafe people. And God has done stuff. I want to challenge you to do the same, okay? And the other two action steps, very, very briefly, I don't need to talk much more about it, but second thing is give and pray for missions. Then keep giving and keep praying for missions. And then give more and keep praying more for missions, all right? Let's do that. Uh, and by the way, if you don't designate to missions, it doesn't go to missions. It just goes in the general fund. So you need to do that. Second thing, please don't take what you're already giving for the work of the ministry here and say, oh, I'll give that to missions now, okay? Do what God wants you to do, whatever that is. Third thing, be actively involved in the life of your church. Well, how did that get in there, right? What's that got to do with it? Well, people who are on the front lines need some R&R, right? People on the front lines need a place they can come back to and get refreshed, get restored, get more training, be encouraged. This is what we do when we worship. This is what we do when we get together in our life groups. This is what we do when we get together Bible studies and we have prayer meetings. This is, and when you get together on purpose as Christians. See, we need to be actively involved doing this because this affects the mission. And it's actually part of the mission. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And I thank you, Father, that your son came to the front lines for us. I pray, Lord, you would stir our hearts to help us see ways that we can be on the front lines. Help us to see what decisions we may need to make or sacrifices we need to make, whatever, Lord, it's, it, that we would do what you show us to do. And that you would use us, Lord, to reach people for you and then to grow them into disciples who will do the same thing. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.